This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. And Isaiah just feels like a flood sometimes. Let me start with a word of prayer. God, I thank you. I thank you that you're here with, with us this morning. Um, even as we confess together, we rely on you, on your ability, your infinite wisdom, your power that knows no difficult task. Lord, we rely on our, our God who is present and caring and loving and capable Lord, so I pray during this time as we, as we look at, as we worship, as we value the work of your servant, that we would be reminded that those who wait on you will not be put to shame. Give us wisdom to let go of the things that we cling to, that we desperately desire to bring us peace and to bring us joy and help us just trust and wait on you and your character. Thank you for this morning and even for the people who have uh, made this possible. In your name I pray, amen. 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 Yeah, Advent is, um, Advent is an interesting season. And, you know, I probably could say this about pretty much any holiday, so I don't know if it's, like, super controversial or crazy, but when we celebrate things, or when we are, you know, even if we're not, you know, take the Christmas tree aside and think about the love, joy, peace, and hope that we celebrate in the gospel, when we celebrate good things in a season like Advent, uh, that's usually layered on with just difficult parts of our life, you know? Like, there's not, like, we, you know, uh, and that goes for, all sorts of holidays. And so Advent is an interesting time where I think as a Christian, um, and we, th- we have sort of a lens to think of these things through. We can talk about uh, the coming. Advent is just from a, a word that means coming, essentially. And there's, there's some conversation in depth around that, but it's a, it's a simple way to look at it. So we, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus, and we long for, we wait for, we look forward to, we we desire the second coming to arrive or we desire for him to continue to come and there's an interesting conversation around how Jesus steps into history to accomplish his purposes and so I think we have this weird like bifurcation of feelings because there's everything to celebrate about the first coming of Jesus you know we can we can talk about how he took on flesh we can talk about how he, uh, even when we do communion, we talk about how he, he gave himself for us. He, his perfect righteousness is credited to you. We can talk about how God's wrath that is deserved for our sin was poured out on Christ himself. So we can celebrate and we can enjoy and we can appreciate and we should the wonderful, encouraging realities of the first coming of Jesus. Amen. And at the same time, there are broken things yet restored that are not yet restored. At the same time, we, uh, you know, even if we had people dropping out of 
uh, Amaya's kids because they're sick at home, you know? Like, I'm wrestling with uh, a meeting I had this morning, uh, being here to just want to worship and enjoy God, uh, thinking about what I'm gonna say, and also uh, handling my toddler with no help, you know, because Bridget is sick. There's just, uh, and, and all the way to the fact that, like, you and I are, are encouraged and we're thankful that Gene is with us. Uh, and Gene is amening already all the way. And, and, and Bridget said, Gene, Bridget said that she could hear on the live stream. So you have, you have perm, you, yeah, your amens have, uh, have, have spread across the globe uh, through our YouTube channel and the two people that are probably watching it. Um, so if we go, there's always a chance Gene could go viral. But there, we're thankful for that because we're wrestling with just difficult realities uh, even in that situation, even right now. And those are just like painful things about Advent. So as I thought about, so I thought about Advent, and you know, there's, you know, I'm thankful for our, our guide where we're talking about the, the light of the world. We light the candle and talk about Christ as light and there's, there's practices and, and things and themes to be focusing on. But as I thought about this chapter and I thought about the conversation between Jesus the servant and his God as we walk a little bit through this chapter, what kept coming to mind for me is that Advent is this uncomfortable place between the promises of God and the realities of day-to-day life. Advent is this uncomfortable place between the good and wonderful promises of God and just the difficulties of day-to-day life. And I say that, and I think that what stood out to me is in this first few verses here, and we're gonna look at this first section. Uh, my first point is the servant understands. The servant understands. And, and, and maybe this is even as we like reflect on the incarnation of Jesus. Uh, a, a, a verse in Hebrews is that uh, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. And it's a great verse, uh, and we can use that verse to understand to, to believe that Jesus knows what it's like to be in the flesh and to wrestle with the, the, the promises of God, but the difficulties of day-to-day life. But there are very few places in scripture where we get to like see conversation between Jesus and the Father. Where we get to see Jesus kind of wrestling with that in, in like a real and tangible way. And I think that's why a lot of people really like the Psalms because you have like this, this picture of like David or, or a Christ figure or even some that are directly connected to Christ where they're like wrestling with just like difficult things in the world and the Psalms are just sort of expressing that and you can, you can feel good about that. Um, but we, we get a, a, a little picture of this in Isaiah 49 that was just super encouraging to me. And most of us know, you know, look at verse six, 49 verse six. Most of us have heard this passage before where he says, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Like what a wonderful passage, you know? Like it's you, Jesus, rescuing Israel isn't good enough for you. I'm promising to make you a light for the world. Uh, that, that's why we, uh, from the guide, and uh, you light the candle, Christ is light. Like we're proclaiming, because you, you know, we're not, uh, Gene might be the most Jewish person in the room. We're like, we are all Gentiles, 
who have been grafted in. And so when we read that verse and say, it's too light a thing, Jesus, that you would just come for Israel. You need to come for the whole world. That's, I think for us, that's important to say, amen. <laughs> you know, like Jesus, Jesus has shown his light, the glory of God, the beauty of the gospel to those who are outside of that little country on the other side of the world. And we live in a day and age where we can celebrate that, we can be thankful for that, and we can benefit from what God is doing worldwide. What a wonderful, fulfilled promise even today. And I, you know, I wonder, you know, like you and I can pull up Google Maps and like flip around the world, you know, like 3D and zoom in. And, you know, if you watch those like people that do the geo, I don't know what that, you know, what's that called? So like, huh? Yeah, geo guessers are like show an image and they're like flipping through and they're like, it's this road in Russia. And you're like, what? <laughs> How did you find that out? <laughs> um, but apparently they just do a ton of that, you know, to each his own. Um, but we, you know, when, when we think about the promise of the gospel spreading throughout the world, we can read like missionary story. I mean, we can, we can literally go online and like see how the gospel spread everywhere. But what do you think like the disciples were thinking when they're in Jerusalem and there's, you know, they're hiding in a room like scared and worried about what's gonna happen next because Jesus has risen from the dead, said, go back to Jerusalem. We saw him, we know he's alive, but it's like, hey, I have this big plan for the whole world, but go um, hang out in this room until the Holy Spirit comes. And they're like nervous, confused, sitting in a room praying and waiting for God to, and then they go out and proclaim and people are converted, but it's like, that's Jerusalem. Like they don't even have like the, they can't even go on Google Maps and like see what that means, you know? Like the world, like where, what does that mean? So they're in this, even they were in this uncomfortable place between the promises and reality of what God was giving them and like the, every, the struggles of everyday life. And so here where there's this like wonderful promise of how God will use Jesus to spread his, his light throughout the entire world, there's a super interesting statement that comes from the servant that makes me think, that he really understands what it means to be in that struggle that we're in today. Amen. Look at what he says. Verse four, before that promise that we like. But I said, this is the servant talking, I have labored in vain and spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Think about Jesus. My first thought was, where did that, in his prayers to the Father, and I think about the story of the gospel and like where Jesus is at and all the different things, like where do you think he like prayed that? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, we did, uh, at Scum, we preached on, a few weeks ago, we preached on the Jesus calming the storm. When they wake him up, the first thing they say is like, you don't even care. You don't, they look at Jesus in the eye and say, you don't even care. After being with him for, you know, let's just say a year, you know. You think later in his prayers, he was like, God, I have labored in vain and spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Amen. Like how many times do we consider and enjoy and rest in 
and, and swirled like the promises of God in our heads. We spent some time and then like, it then immediately feels like it was like not worth anything. Because something has wrecked that in our circumstance. Like Jesus lived the life of knowing the scriptures and he didn't fumble around with his own sin. Like he resisted with that, like he was tempted in every way, but without sin. And it would feel like it would even, you know, I'm gonna say it seemed like for sure, and I think what this is telling us, it felt like he labored in vain and spent my strength for nothing in vanity. And at least it's just in, and vanity, you know, like it's not even like in a sentence and worthlessness, you know, or whatever. It's almost like, it's kind of like, I feel like it's expressing like this emotion of like, all, you know, like from the uh, Ecclesiastes, like all, all is vanity. Like what is the purpose of these things? So I think that we can really understand when we look back at the first coming of Jesus and we want, and we look forward to the restoration of all things. We look forward to the new creation. We look forward to our bodies being perfect. We look forward to no sin, messing up relationships between our children or our friends or our family, whatever that looks like. We look forward to like the joys of, of just like community and health and, and restoration and peace and everything you can possibly imagine. And Paul says, and things we can't imagine, you know? We look forward to all of those things that God is promising and sharing with us, even in Advent season, like the, the next coming of Jesus. But we also deal with life. <laughs> and I think it's, it's encouraging to me to know that Jesus dealt with that too. Like he knows how you feel. He knows how you feel. Now, I read the part over and over again in verse four, um, vanity, but kind of like in the Psalms, even as he kind of like bemoans the situation, there's, there's quickly a reflex to recognize the goodness and the character and the wonder of his father, God. Like he's not unaware of those things. Look at what he says at the next part of the verse. He goes, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense is with my God. Amen. My right and my recompense. He's saying definitively, surely. It's similar to where he's saying like truly, like definitely, my heavenly father, this is the servant speaking, my heavenly father will give to me what is owed. My heavenly father will reward me with my work. Amen. I think Moses in the Psalm says, establish the work of my hands, Lord. He's like kind of asking God to make his effort, Moses is, you know, like the second most famous person in the Bible, is asking God to make his work meaningful. And here Jesus is, as the perfect man who's really struggling, is also saying, surely, most definitely, I can trust that God will use what I'm doing appropriately. Amen. 
uh, Paul says in the New Testament, if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap to the Spirit. Like if we're drawing near to God, if we're, we're, we're seeking in the best possible way we can, which, you know, we had a good conversation a week ago with Ben and I about this. It's like how we draw near to the Lord, how we are encouraged by his presence is so different for all of us. You know, if you're um, at home with the toddler at seven in the morning, you're dealing with certain things. <laughs> if you're at work still at 8 p.m., you're dealing with certain certain things. If you're in a difficult relate, if you're if things are not peaceful at home, you're dealing with things. I mean, there's just, I mean, the number of things that can make it difficult. If if your body is weak because we live in this creation and you're not able to focus and enjoy more of who God is, you're dealing with things. You know, like it's not always a a life circumstance or a sin. It's just like the we're weak. And just day to day, there's only so much we could give. And we just had to be honest with ourselves about that. Some of us probably need to be a little more honest with ourselves about that. <laughs> but that's okay. And I, I, I love that even in the New Testament, Jesus is like, as you move towards God, he gives you more abundantly than you could ever ask or think. Like he's not asking you to hit a threshold of concern for him so that he can like then reward you equally with that. He's like, as you seek me, as you move towards me, as you are just exhausted or as you just like are struggling or as you've maybe ignored him for weeks and weeks and weeks and as you approach him and move towards him, he's saying, because I love you and care for you, I just wanna pile that on to you with grace and peace and my presence and my goodness. I, wanna, I want the, the sowing that you do to the spirit to lead to abundant reaping, not because of how capable you are, but because of my promises and who I am. And I think this is a cool example. Like obviously you and I united to Christ are being shaped and molded into the image of Christ. And, and there's all the caveats, like we're not gonna like redo the death and resurrection, but we follow the suffering to glory pattern that Jesus does. And that's, that is, you know, even the book of Job is like a suffering to glory pattern in, in the sense that he's, he's uh, abundantly rewarded for, for sort of the things that he goes through. So that's, that's a, like a common theme throughout scripture, the suffering to glory. And Jesus is here in this passage saying, man, I've labored in vain, but I trust the Lord. And you would think that, like maybe in our states, it's like, well, you know what? You've done these things, so I wanna reward you with this. You're right. You trust me. And I'm glad you trust me, so I'm gonna give you back equal to what the effort you've put in. And here God looks at him and says, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. He's like, this is going to the end of the earth. I love that even in Jesus as a man who is expressing as the servant, the sort of like, the, you know, he, the fact that he's come to, to Israel, and in different points in the New Testament, where he's like, if only you would have turned and accepted me, or if only you would have realized that the, this hour, the time that's come, and he, he even says, I've come for Israel, why would I give to the Gentiles? Like, he's, he's dead set focused on rescuing his people and saying, ugh, this is going nowhere. And God looks at him in this promise right here and says, 
not only is it going somewhere, it's going bigger and greater and more wonderful than you could ever imagine. Here is his father through the promises in his first coming, encouraging him about the future, about the glory, about what he's gonna accomplish through everything that he's doing. I think in the same way when we draw near to God, as we're able to, as our bodies allow, as our, as, as our schedules allow, as our children allow, whatever pick uh, allow, as we approach him, because as Christians, we stand in Christ, so we're not earning anything from him, but as we just make that effort, that little effort towards God, he graciously wants to just pour out more and more of his goodness and his grace and his glory, and his comfort. Like he is just overflowing. He's like, no, I'm not even gonna reward you for that thing that you did. I'm gonna give you so much more than you could ever ask or think. And here, he's doing that to the servant who deserves it. But as we stand in Christ, as we're united to Christ, you deserve it too. You deserve as you draw near to God, you deserve for God to pour out his goodness and his grace to you. I hope that makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> if you're uncomfortable with that, you're on the right track. <laughs> if you're like, I know, <laughs> think about, go talk to someone you trust. <laughs> it should make us a little uncomfortable because we know we, we're, we're wicked, we're sinful. But, that's what we've been saying for like 48 chapters, you know, like in some way, shape, or form. He's like, but my servant is going to accomplish wonderful things. And that's kind of like the next main point that I think in this passage is encouraging. I think about Advent is the servant's victory. The servant's victory changes everything. The servant's victory changes everything. Look at what he says in Verse eight. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you a covenant to the people. Amen. Now, if you're, um, uh, have your Bible journals or you want to reference, Isaiah 42 brings us up the covenant aspect too. So if you want to like kind of go back and, and look at that, but we're, uh, we're not gonna uh, explain all that from Isaiah, but he's, he's talking to the servant and he's explained to him that like, you servant, I've rescued you and I have made a covenant, I, I've made an arrangement that you are the sign of for my people. And here we have the new covenant in his blood that we partake in regularly because we're saying he has given us, he is given us as a covenant to the people. Like we are participating in our union with Christ in his righteousness. So because we have him, because we have Jesus, now we get to participate with God as if we were the beloved servant. That, that's the new way God is, inter, is exchanging things with us. 
Like he said, a good, a good example, he says, uh, the, the people call it the covenant of creation. Uh, the word isn't used in Genesis, but he looks at Adam and says, hey, here's the deal. <laughs> Enjoy everything. It's wonderful. Just not this one thing right here, you know? <laughs> and we know how that went. He broke the covenant. So now Adam is our head, our representative head. Adam was given as a covenant to all the people. How God interacts with us is through our failure in Adam. Hey, I gave you the perfect scenario. You rebelled against me. Everything about you is rebellious against who I am. And so therefore, as your God and your enemy, that's how we're interacting in this covenant through Adam. So now this new covenant, the second Adam shows up in a wayward situation, does all the wonderful things, and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. And now in him, as the new covenant, that's how God interacts with you. You're in one of those two covenants. And if you're in Christ, he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. He's saying, as you draw near to me, I just wanna outpour my love and my grace and my kindness to you because you glorified me perfectly. We're now in that covenant. So look at, here's what I want to, I said that the servant's victory changes everything. Look at the language that Isaiah uses to describe the change in that covenant. You know, um, and maybe just some background. Like Isaiah is the, is the, is literally Isaiah is like, hey guys, stop. It's gonna go really bad. And God's like, tell the people that it's gonna go really bad. And Isaiah's like, okay. And God's like, but they're not gonna listen. And Isaiah's like, ah, but for how long? <laughs> for a long time. So Isaiah is a book about like the people continuing to rebel against God. But in this new covenant, look at the results. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, verse eight. And what will happen? To establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage. He's saying like, like anything that was lost to your enemies will be restored. Saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. So we're, we get this like more and more language of rescue. And then I, I just, I'm not even sure there's like other ways to approach this. Is they shall feed along the way, talking about just sort of a, like a flock on the bare heights shall be their pasture. There's like this idea that there's like an abundance of food for, for this new covenant. There'll be an abundance of food for people to, for the animals to feed on. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them for, for he who has pity on them will lead them. He cares for them and by springs of water will guide them. It's just, it's just, oh, it's picture after picture of abundance. It's picture after picture of, because of this new covenant, overwhelming abundance from our heavenly father. And then he says, I will make all my mountains a road and my highways shall be raised up. It's just, this comes, this is an image that comes up in Isaiah a lot. It's like approaching God is all of a sudden way easier now. You know, there's a reason why traffic on I-70 is the worst when you go to the mountains. Cause you can't just like put a road anywhere. <laughs> it would be like a whole deal. N knowing the rate at which Denver does its roads, it would be like all of us would be dead before another road was built out there. <laughs> so, but God is saying, that's no problem for me. I'm gonna flatten the mountains and I'm gonna raise up the plains. And if you want to approach me, 
approach. It's easy. Behold, these, and this is what happens. These shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west and from the land of Cyrene. He's just talking about this, this idea that it's not, Israel isn't good enough. I, everyone from all over will approach and draw near to God. And here's the appropriate response to that. He, he's saying the, the servant's victory changes everything in the appropriate response to the good news of what the servant will do now that he's our covenant with God. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. This is what the servant will accomplish. This is what everything will change because of what the servant will accomplish. And now if you're reading that and you're hearing all those good things and you're like, yes, wonderful, this is where I think we are caught in that tension between the promises of God and like this morning, <laughs> you know, like the thing we dealt with. This is where we're, we're caught in that tension between the promises of God and how sick we were last week or what we failed at or what we're worried about next week or what we're dealing with that's hard or what's broken in our body. And we're reading all these wonderful passages and we're saying, yes, but we're also saying, Ugh, you know, like there's this tension in this space. And I want to look at 2 Corinthians because Paul quotes this passage. So here is God encouraging believers in the Old Testament, but also we've said this a bunch of times, like this is for us. And, and he's encouraging the servant, Jesus, who is saying, ugh, you know, like all this seems in vain. And God's like, no, more for you. I'm actually gonna do more for you. And, and, and when you accomplish this, it's gonna change everything. I think what verse did I start in? Second um, Corinthians 5, I think verse 20 is where I started in. It should be on this. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. This is Paul. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. You might as well just say, for the servant. God, making his appeal through us. We implore you, here's the appeal. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Amen. Amen. And in the same sense, he's like, this is the Jesus, the servant, the Christ. Here is the new covenant. Partake in that so that your relationship with God can be restored. And then look at what he says in verse 20. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we're gonna... You know, the, the servant songs, as they continue, as we look at the servant um, through the next couple of chapters in Isaiah, uh, what Paul is saying here will really kind of expand in Isaiah 53. So we're going we're gonna to get to that a little bit. But look at what he quotes. It says that we're working together with him, with the servant. So Paul says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And, and I think if we're to like look at the most recent thing, the grace of God is that in Christ we're reconciled to God. Like we've been given the gift, the covenant that comes from Christ. He says, now he quotes that verse that led up to all of those glorious things. And he says, in a favorable time, I have listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. He's looking at that passage in Isaiah and he says, behold, 
Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul is just reaffirming to us that all of these like wonderful, overflowing pictures of abundance is right now. That's right now. Now is the favorable time. And, that pre- and so that kind of presents our, our challenge in Advent. And that's sort of like where I'm going to try to land the plane. <laughs> so our, this is our challenge in Advent. Is we're in this tension where God has promised us all of these good and wonderful things. We're looking back and we're, we're seeing what the servant has done. We're listening to Paul who says, behold, now is the time. Now is the time where God is working and operating and moving and helping his people and drawing near to them. But we're also dealing with like the reality of today. This is our challenge in Advent. Is to say, what do we do with these things? What do we do with these things? Well, I think the first thing as we sit in this like uncomfortable tension space, it may feel like um, a duh, but we have to start here. Scripture does. We shouldn't forget the things that God has promised. We shouldn't forget that Paul says today is the day. Now is the time of favor. Now Christ has already been given to us as a covenant. Look at what, we're back in Isaiah now. This is not, this is, the Lord knows that we need reminding of the good things that he's communicated to us, like regularly all the time. Because he says, sing, O heavens, in verse 13, he's like, break forth, O mountains, into singing. It's just like, bam, you know, like, rejoice, because what the servant has done has changed everything. And the very next verse, in verse 14, says, but Zion says, God's, this is what God's, how does how God's people respond to all of these wonderful promises? Amen. This is how God's people respond. The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. This is why we need the servant because his response is, this is useless, yet I trust that God will restore me. Our response is, this is useless and God doesn't remember me. Like, we, we need the servant. We need him to be the covenant between us and God because his people, as his people, we say, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. So I think the challenge in Advent season when we look around and we wrestle with the difficult things as we, is to remember the good promises that he has. Just to remember the good news that you are in a good position in Christ so that you can approach him with the tiny little bit that you have and he wants to reward you and and give more of himself to you. And you can enjoy that he's promising to do that because in Christ, now is the time of favor. (laughs) 
you know, gives a couple of analogies. He's like, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Um, I think he recognizes that there are colicky babies because he says, even these may forget, you know? Like, there's, there's like, even in like the best and most wonderful, beautiful circumstances of mother and child, there's, in a fallen world, there's brokenness there. He says, behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I've engraved, and that's like, um, like, like carved, you know? That's like, you know, it sounds, it's like one of those like things you see in grandma's house, like I've engraved you on the palm of my hands, you know? Oh, you know, that's like carved. Can't help but think of the fact that what does Jesus show his disciples when he's walking in his body post-resurrection? But wounds on his hands. And I'm not saying that Isaiah is particularly talking about that. But talk about, that's the carving on his hands, his remembrance of you. He'll sooner forget the holes in his hands than he'll forget his love and care for you. And our challenge in Advent season is to remember those things. is to remember those things. Another thing he says in verse 18, it's like the language here is a little confusing. Um, but he says, lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather, they all come to you. Like we're talking about like the lost children. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them on as an ornament. Which is, you know, it's appropriate. We have a tree here with ornaments. Um, the Stick of butter is wonderful. It's, I feel like it just fits the Christmas season. Even in Thanksgiving, we had like packages of butter and after our Thanksgiving meal, I was like, no, we're out of butter. I think we went through like six sticks of butter making the things that I made, you know? Like, so that's appropriate. Um, but we, we ornate, like we like decorate the tree and, and he's sort of giving this thing. He's like, look around and see that God is currently working to gather people from all over the world. And he's like, given this image that like, like a married person uh, putting on jewelry and decorating themselves, you know, or like a, like a tree that's like has ornaments. It's like, like open your eyes in, in the Advent season. And I would say, ask the Lord to help with this, to see where he is actually working and fulfilling these promises. Look for that. Look for the ornaments that God has given you in your life. And I would say, if you're struggling, ask other people to encourage you where God is at work. I mean, there's, we have the internet. You can find the worst things on the internet, but you can find wonderful things that God is doing. I'm sure Josh would send you into a million different random missionary directions of crazy stories where God is doing some things. Like he's encouraging us in this Advent season where we're struggling with the promises of God and he's saying all these wonderful things and just our reality of day-to-day life is sometimes to just look up and try to see what God is actually doing so that we can be encouraged, so that we can draw near him, so that we could remember and believe that now is the time of abundance. It's interesting. He paints this like huge picture of, of gathering 
all of these people and even this, you know, he says in verse 23, kings shall be your foster fathers and queens their nursing mothers. He's like kind of giving this, this picture of uh, it's sort of like the powers at be are gonna be like subservient to what God is accomplishing. And I wonder, I wonder when Paul is before, I think it's Felix where, is he the one that responds to him and says like, whoa, Paul, are you trying to convert me? <laughs> you know, he's like exhorting him. And, and it doesn't really tell us in the story like where, because he, he kind of hears him and there's like this interesting back and forth, but he's like also uncomfortable when Paul talks to him about Christ as king and as judge. But it's interesting to me that he's painting this picture of what God will accomplish. And I think, you know, when we talk about our challenge in the Advent season, number one, it's hard to just remember the good promises of God. Number two, I would say just look around and encourage each other and, and try to make a conscious effort to see where God is at work because you remember what he has promised. And then finally, I would just say, trust him to be the one to accomplish the things. It's kind of a long drawn out. Trust God to, like the servant is the capable one, not me and you. God is the one who even rewards, the heavenly father rewards the servant with the kingdom. And so we share in that reward. We don't earn it or we don't do it, we don't accomplish it, we share in that reward. So I would just say, trust God to be the one to accomplish things. And you know, this is in the context of kings and queens and stuff. So like, if, if you have to hear this, you have to hear this, like, you're probably not gonna affect a lot in the next election cycle, you know? I'm pro-voting, I'm not just, but like, there are just big picture things that there's probably more fire and, and, and chatter on online that uh, I think as Christians, we can say confidently that we trust God to accomplish his purposes and to bring his kingdom and to build and tear down where appropriate. And, and maybe that's, you know, we've been, you know, we should continue to pray and I, and keep praying for scum as they're going through some things. We should pray for us. We want to be united. Even in our, in our covenant members meeting, we want to see more people recognize Christ, come to him, be converted, and be part of the community. Like, we all want that. God is saying, I'm the one that accomplishes that. Is the weight of that responsibility on you, or is it on him? It's like, trust me to accomplish my purposes. You know, maybe I'm using concentric circles here. Think about in our homes. Think about our friends, our coworkers. You know, um, Bridget was sick. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm preaching about trusting God to accomplish things, you know? Like, <laughs> and so uh, JJ makes it hard for me to have conversation because I'm like split, you know? And like when there's one parent, you're just split more. <laughs> there's two parents, you can like divide and conquer a little bit. But it's like, that's what God has called me to this morning. And, and do I hold anxiety around that? Or do I just trust God to accomplish his purposes this morning? You know, look, 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 we, can, we can go all over the place. So I just encourage you in the Advent season, as, you, as God's promising all these wonderful things, as you're remembering him, as you're looking for him to work, are you trusting him to do the things that he promises? Are you putting that weight on yourself? My first thought is, 
well, if I don't, who will? Or if I don't, this will fall apart. Or if I don't, I'll have to deal with this. <laughs> Whatever the thing, you know, like you're looking down the road. And I think that's why this is a, this is a constant repeating frame in the book of Isaiah. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. You're not gonna show up in the presence of God and let him know about how much you trusted him with this thing. And he was like, well, no, actually that one you were supposed to do. Amen. And I think, we, I think when we begin to trust him more with these things that he is saying will happen, we kind of finally get out of the way and we can look up and see what he's actually doing. We don't feel the weight of all these things so we can spend maybe more time remembering and enjoying who he is. I think that's where, you know, I, you know some of you are more or less excited about the Advent Guide and, you know, we can, there's a lot of like good, you, know, you guys have been Christians for a long time, you understand like there are, Practices for drawing near to God. Um, even in our um, our Advent stuff that we're doing at home, I'm setting some things aside to kind of focus on Advent with JJ and like to think through that in our home. I'm sure on some of these habits, as you guys think about this, you're probably gonna have to trust God with some stuff if you take any time to do anything in here because something else won't be happening. <laughs> whatever that looks like. And I'm not saying this is like the law, but, but anytime you take time to remember to be encouraged by God, to draw near to him, you're, you're also trusting him with whatever else is not happening. And I, and I wanna encourage you in the same place, like he rewards any effort you put towards him. There isn't, you know, oh man, look at all the things. Some of these are great. Some of you guys really like this stuff. And it is, there's a lot of good stuff here. If you hit like this bucket and this bucket, that's great. <laughs> like God will reward you for any effort you put as you draw near to him. And he does that. He does that because in the Advent season, you and I can look back at the first Advent and say everything has changed because of what the servant has accomplished. Everything has changed because now you and I are restored and reconciled through the covenant that's in Christ and not the one that's in Adam. Everything has changed because of the first advent. Let's pray and thank God for that. God, you are so good. I'm encouraged by what you continue to accomplish, even in our community, Lord. I am um, amazed at the unity that you have brought through the spirit and just the joy and the peace and the love that comes. And Lord, I'm amazed at the, the, the servant-heartedness that comes from the people that are here. Lord, I'm amazed that even as we've reflected in our covenant members meeting, I'm, I'm so thankful for you stirring affections for people in our church towards you. That's not, God, that's not from from anything we accomplish. That's from your spirit at work. That's from your servant sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning and making every enemy his footstool as he draws all people to himself.
Lord, I pray that as we enjoy the good promises of Advent this season, as we have little moments in the hustle and bustle, if we have little points of clarity that we see and appreciate and love you more for, I pray that we trust that you will use those to give us a more real sense of your love for us. You've etched us in your hands. And we're ever before you, Lord. I thank you for that. Uh, in your name I pray, amen.